Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, November 17th, we're studying 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. Knowing that the time for his martyrdom is drawing closer, St. Paul charges Timothy to fulfill his ministry by preaching the word at all times, even as the apostle himself has done. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's good to be back. So we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. What's come before this in the letter? What do we need to know about the letter as a whole that will help us into these eight verses for today? Well, I think the most uh, relevant relevant one I mean, is uh, that is that St. Paul is talking about the warning of the the last days, and you kind of get this intensity as as St. Paul sees the ending of his ministry, which is the ending of his life, and it's a very violent end. So he sees a, it's kind of a violent end to to the Church on Earth before Christ comes. Uh, And I think the most immediate context is he, he talks about being faithful to the Word of God, and that it is uh, breathed out by God and profitable for for uh, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and, and righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And then he goes in to charge the, uh, Timothy on the most important duty of the man of God, that is the minister of Christ, and that is to preach the Word. So he's already defined that word, and here he is charging him to preach it. And as you said, uh, he uses himself as the example, as he has done, uh, and bearing all these things. So uh, it's a it's a very personable or, or personal uh, section of scripture. Uh, it's 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 really a neat thing because in, in the in the same breath that we talk about Scripture being breathed out by God, and that includes this Scripture here, uh, and St. Peter makes it abundantly clear in his second epistle where he talks about he groups in Paul's writings with the rest of Scripture. Uh, and then also Paul himself, where he, I mean, when he says, uh, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one that I preach to you, let him be anathema. I mean, this is him indisputably declaring his writings to be the inspired Word of God that have come to him by revelation. Uh, so he, uh, so it's, it's clearly these scriptures are God's Word, they're breathed out by God, and yet we also see this is a very personal thing, uh, and it should be personal to the person who reads it. You read scripture, uh, and, uh, and you have a personal relationship with it, not to be too cheesy, but uh, whether you reject it or whether you accept it, and if you accept it, faith, uh, especially if you're a preacher, then you're going to die by it, and very likely suffer by it. Uh, so the words that St. Paul speaks here are very personal, they're very authoritative, they're very powerful, and uh, they're very grave. And even with all that, they also predominate in the Gospel. And I think we'll see that as we explore these eight verses. Excellent introduction. Let's get started with the text. 2 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the text for today. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Price, the text we've got for today begins with Paul's charge to Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. We've heard him do this before in the first epistle. He's charged Timothy in a similar way. He does so again now, again, toward the end of his life. One of the things you brought up in your notes, this sounds, or maybe it is, which is not sounds like, but it is an oath that Paul puts Timothy under. How, how do we understand this oath, particularly in regard to some of the things Jesus says about oaths in the Gospels? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord whatever you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is, for it is the footstool, or his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Uh, and those are... Very, uh, that's a very strict language you have there. And of course, it connects with the second commandment. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or uh, as the older people would have, uh, remember, we're not that much older, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, and there we learn that we should not curse, swear, use witchcraft, or lie to see by his name. So uh, it seems very clear that we're not supposed to take oaths. Now, is St. Paul taking an oath here. I mean, it's like he's doubling down. It's almost as if he has Jesus' words in mind. You know, do not take an oath by heaven, for that is the throne of God. And what does he do? He, he charges him, and the, the, the Greek word is like to, to call as a witness uh, God and of Christ, you know, the Son, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing, his appearing, and his kingdom. So it's just like he... He not only swears by heaven, he swears by, by the Holy Trinity, he swears by the Christ, he swears by his throne, he swears by his arrival on his glorious throne as he's about to judge the living and the dead. He swears by it all, uh, or, and he, he charges, or at least he, he charges Timothy to swear by it. So is, the question, is this... Uh, breaking the second commandment, and is it disobeying what what Jesus Christ himself says when he says, do not swear? Uh, and, and Luther's large catechism, he points out uh, that we are, he says, we are, on the other hand, commanded to use his name, that is God's name, for truth and for good. Like when someone takes an oath truthfully when it is needed and it is demanded. So, for example, Christians can take an oath of office, and Christians can uh, take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, uh, in court. Um, so we aren't like the Anabaptists who say that we should not participate in civil um, offices and in civil events like uh, in court and things like that, uh, taking oaths. Uh, and the way Luther explains it in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew 5 is he says that Jesus isn't making an absolute prohibition of swearing, but rather he is he is emphasizing not swearing falsely. So if you go earlier in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. And then he says, But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. Now, is he saying, um, or who, uh, is he saying that uh, that's an absolute? Well, it's not 100% absolute because a husband is supposed to cling to his wife, and he is supposed to have desire in his heart for his wife. Uh, likewise, he says a little bit earlier in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry at his brother is liable to judgment. Well, does that mean that one 
must never be angry. Well, Luther points out, well, a judge is supposed to be angry. Now, maybe he's not talking so much about the emotion of anger, but he is supposed to have a wrath. He's supposed to have wrath. He's supposed to carry out God's wrath. A judge uh, should condemn a criminal. And when an executioner puts someone to death who has been tried by the law, uh, he's not committing murder. Uh, just like a, a soldier who is carrying out his duty in war, in a just war, is not committing murder. So we have to be careful when we make absolute rules when, uh, with uh, verses out of context. Jesus is not saying that no one may ever, in any circumstances, be angry. And he's not saying that no one ever, under any circumstances, can have uh, you know, desire in his heart toward a woman. And he is not saying that nobody, under any circumstances, can swear. Uh, but rather, he's talking about our everyday life, and in, you know, in most circumstances, uh, all women are excluded from my eyes, except for my wife. Except for my wife. Um, all, uh, you're not permitted to condemn your, your neighbor. That's God's right. And if you, or whether God has, if God has given you uh, such a station in life as a judge uh, or, or something like that. So, um, so, so going back to what St. Paul has done, is this a circumstance where you can swear and make an oath? And I would say absolutely. Uh, this is the most solemn oath that you can possibly make. He is calling upon him to preach the Word of God. And I really think that this is like him reminding him of his ordination vows. Um, kind of like when he reminds him of the, the hands that were laid upon him in the assembly of the elders and the, and the, and the prayers that were said to him. So uh, he's calling God as his witness. He's calling the uh, return of Christ as his witness. He's calling all of heaven and everything as a witness uh, to Timothy uh, to say, you must preach the word. And, uh, and this is a good oath. This is a good swear uh, and all that, it's the best, uh, and nothing could make it more necessary than what he is charging St. Timothy to do, uh, which is to preach the Word. So in this charge that St. Paul lays out for Timothy, you do get a list of various things that are included in this charge, but that first one, as you've emphasized several times, is preach the Word. Is that first on purpose, and, and what all is entailed in that preaching the Word? Yeah, I think it's on purpose because, I, like I said before, I think this is the most important task of a preacher. I don't think there's anything that, that compares, uh, because even when you go into the other things that a, a pastor does be, beyond preaching, preaching is you know, part and parcel to it. So, I mean, you visit someone who is sick, I mean, you can be preaching to them. And uh, when you, you know, administer the sacraments, I mean, this is a type of preaching. It's the Word that makes it, that makes it effective. Um, I mean, no, no pastor teaches a confirmation class without preaching. So uh, preaching is the, the, constant, uh, the constant task of the pastor. And uh, like, like I said, it's, or as St. Paul says, be ready in season and out of season. So not just in the pulpit, uh, but in the narthex, you know, afterward, uh, in the parishioner's home, when you see them on the street, when they come over for supper, or whatever it is, uh, be ready to, to preach. And that is to confess the Word of God, uh, to do this with patience and with clarity, uh, and uh, distinguishing between the law and the gospel and all those, those things. So preach the Word is what he says. And I guess the question is, what is this word? And uh, I think it goes back to what we have at the end of chapter 3, where he says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and, and righteousness. And I think that's pretty clear for a number of reasons. One, uh, word and scripture uh, are very closely related. Uh, I mean, what is Scripture other than the writing down of words? And uh, the Lutheran fathers uh, and the Lutheran dogmaticians, the Lutheran confessions, frequently 
uses the, the term God's Word and Holy Scripture uh, indiscriminately. Uh, so one of the, the, the conflicts that the Lutheran Church had about well, 50 years ago now, almost, not quite, but, um, but, but you know, 45 years ago, and 50 years ago, I mean, it was uh, a couple generations ago, and that's what kind of eventually led to the split from that uh, formed these other church bodies, like the ELCA eventually formed um, from these splits. But uh, the, the question was, is the Word of, is the Bible the Word of God, or does it contain the Word of God? And this is where you have to be careful with a lot of these more liberal church bodies, where they'll say things like, well, yeah, we believe that Scripture is inspired. They're like, oh, okay, so you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And they might even say that, but really what they mean is, well, the, we believe the Bible contains the Word of God. So Scripture contains the Word of God. And uh, what St. Paul clearly says here, and what Lutherans have always believed, is that Scripture is the Word of God. It doesn't just simply contain it, as if you know you can sift through it and reject some of Scripture and accept others. But rather, Scripture is the Word of God, and St. Paul charges Timothy and all preachers to preach the Word. Uh, and, and in context here, where you see that, so for example, he says, oh, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And uh, that same word, teaching, is used in this pericope that we have right here, in, in chapter, um, in, in, in verse 3, where he talks about those who will not endure sound teaching, so those who are not going to endure the sound teaching of the, of the word. Uh, he also uses the phrase uh, for reproof, and uh, the, the word for, for, for reproof in chapter 3. So Scripture is profitable for training, and for teaching, and for reproof. Well, in verse, uh, in verse, let's see here, where is it? Yeah, in, in verse uh, 2 in chapter 4, one of the, the things that he says is, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, uh, reprove, which is the verb form of the noun reproof, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, so he he has the both the content and the function of preaching the word, the the exact same as that of scripture, uh, in in the very uh, you know preceding chapter. So I think it is very clear that preaching is the chief task of the preacher, the most important task, uh, that what he preaches is the Word, and by Word he means Scripture. Holy Scripture, the Bible, the Old and New Testament, uh, is the only rule and norm of pastor's teaching. It's the only way that you can truly judge uh, what your pastor is, is teaching you. So Paul continues, and I think you've, you've addressed this briefly, Pastor Preuss. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Is there is there ever an out of season for for the preaching of the word. What what's that? What is Paul communicating there? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And let's see, it's a eukairos and akairos. So a good season and without a, a no season uh, uh, and out of season, I suppose. Um, I don't think there is an out of season. To, um, I suppose. What so what does he mean by that? I guess. I mean. I suppose that the in-season, the most simple way of, of thinking of it is like, you know, Sunday morning when you're, when you're expected to preach, right? I guess maybe that's what, it, what he's talking about. Um, in-season is when people have come to hear you preach. I guess out-of-season is when they have not come to hear you preach. Maybe <laughs> that's what he's talking about. So, I mean, uh, someone comes to church on Sunday morning, you get out in the, pul- in the pulpit. I mean, they're, if they, get, they might get up and leave and get upset if they don't like the content of your preaching, but nobody is going to say, why is this guy, who does he think he is, just talking to all of us like this? So, like, everyone knows that that's what the pastor is going to do. Uh, but I do think there are times where where it, it seems it, it goes against the grain of society. Uh, it, people kind of expect you to be quiet about certain things. Mm. Um, so I think the pastor has to think of this in any time, he doesn't just preach from the pulpit. Every time he speaks to his parishioners, uh, he is a man of God, and he's speaking for God. Now, that doesn't mean that like a pastor can't talk. He can't express 
you know, opinions about this, that, or the other thing, and, uh, and you know, talk about things that that aren't authoritative, uh, and maybe give us opinion, say, yeah, I could be wrong, but this is what I think is going to happen, or this is what I think should happen, or this, that, and the other thing. But I think pastors do have to be, uh, have that on their mind, that when they're expressing views that relate to God's Word, and God's Word, you know, is pretty all-encompassing, uh, that they're preaching, and they should be careful about that and what they say. Because I think that their parishioners actually listen to it and think, oh, well, this is what they're, this is, you know, this is the guy God sent to me. Or at least they, I think they should think that way. Uh, so I think uh, pastors should guard their tongues and uh, be ready to proclaim God's word wherever they are. I also think that maybe this, out, you know, outside of season, he's talking about when the word especially is not tolerated. Because immediately afterward, or shortly afterward, he starts talking about there coming a time when people will not uh, endure sound teaching. And I think this is something that we're kind of dealing with now. Uh, people don't, you know, there's certain things that people are okay with us preaching, and there are things that they're not. Um, you know, during the pandemic or this, you know, this COVID thing, uh, or if there, you know, is a, a pandemic that, uh, that strikes, you know, people might say, well, this isn't the time. We don't need to hear this, you know. Uh, or there's a tragedy going on. Well, you know, we don't need to be hearing the Word of God right now. There are more important things to discuss. And I think the, the message here is that the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word, is always the most important thing. So if you have a child who tragically dies unexpectedly and early, um, the most important thing you need is the Word of God. Uh, if uh, you're sick, the most important thing you need is the Word of God. If the country goes into a great depression and we're all poor, the most important thing you need is the Word of God. Uh, if, if there's a plague and everyone's getting sick and dying, the most important thing you need is the Word of God. If, uh, if God's Word is determined to be offensive to uh, the general public and uh, nobody wants you to, to preach it and you could actually be punished for doing it, the most important thing for the preacher to do is to preach the Word of God. And it just doesn't change. So this charge isn't, it's, it, it's not conditional. Do it. Uh, there is, there's never going to be a time where the most important thing a preacher can do is not preaching the Word of God. Yeah, I, I think and in terms of just the overall effect of that phrase is be ready always, in season, out of season. It's, it's almost like saying, yeah, like when the when we talk about that God created the heavens and the earth, what well, doesn't just mean that God created heavens and earth and nothing? He means He created everything and, and everything in between. Similarly, here, you know, it's it's a in season and out season, everything. Always be ready. But I think you're you're exactly right to connect it to the word that comes up in verse three, which is the same word actually in Greek. The, it's in English, you know, you get for the time. You could say for the season is coming. Similarly, in in the previous chapter at the beginning of of Second Timothy chapter three where Paul says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times, again, that's that's that same word, seasons of difficulty, that, that especially at those times, the pastor needs to be ready to preach the word of God. And, and as you said so well, that's what you need at, at all of those moments. That's what the preacher needs to be doing is preaching the word of God. And that's what the Christian needs to be hearing is the word of God. And even those who would reject it, they need to be hearing the word of God too. That That is what has to be happening in season and out of season, particularly those seasons where it seems no one wants to hear it, that's when it needs to be proclaimed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as St. Paul also says, uh, by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's never a time that this isn't the most important thing in the world. And I think a lot of like what's been going on the past few months, you know, the with, with the COVID thing, and, uh, you know, then, of course, there's division about that and how we should handle it and how we should behave, and, and then the election and all these things. N- nothing is, none of this changes. The fact that the most important thing you need is the Word of God. And I think it's a challenge for pastors, too, to remember that. Uh, don't get distracted. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't address some of these things. I think some of these things we should address, and I think we should give guidance, uh, especially how it pertains to to our faith uh, and, and how we confess it and, uh, and how we behave in the world. 
But none of these things changes our most important need. And I, I also do think that pastors, just in a word of encouragement, you know, I think you'll, you'll be rewarded even, you know, before that, uh, that crown, that, uh, right, uh, that crown is, is laid upon you on the last day. You'll be rewarded here on earth if you do that, because you are going to have Christians, uh, Christian Christians who are going to love you for it. Uh, they're going to appreciate that in their time of need, you gave them their most, uh, their greatest need, which is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really think that, that that there are a lot of Christians right now who are starving for it. So, you know, as you're dealing with all these things, watch your preaching and make sure that you're giving that to them because they need it. They need it now uh, more than ever. Not saying that they didn't need it before, but we, it's never not needed. In season and out of season, the the word of God is what we need above all else. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. I'm going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, November 17th. We're studying 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We've got Pastor James Preuss with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, we've been looking at the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. He puts him underneath his ordination vows yet again to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. Then we get these words, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, connecting us back to Holy Scripture from the previous chapter, as you mentioned. And Paul says, with complete patience and teaching. How do patience and teaching go together in the pastoral ministry, as Paul lays it out here? I I think they go together very well. And I think there, there are two extremes I think we have to guard against. One is this notion that by preaching the Word of God, particularly the law, that we're going to drive people away from the Church. So if, if we confront sin, like uh, saying that you should not live together before you're married, uh, or if we say that you know, homosexuality is in fact a sin, and that uh, people who engage in, in such activities should repent and not do that, um, and, and, or whatever it is that we're going to be addressing, whether it's you know, unlawful divorce, adultery, uh, gambling, uh, gossip, whatever it is. And if we preach against this, it's going to drive people away. And I think that is a, a dangerous notion to get in your head, uh, that God's Word is going to be at fault for driving people away, as if uh, we can bring people into the kingdom of heaven apart from God's word or apart from leading people to repentance. I mean, Jesus and St. Paul both preached, repent and believe in the gospel. You must preach the law. The other extreme is the idea that it doesn't matter how you do it. You know, you preach the word of God, and you're not really accountable um, in any way to how people react to it, in, in the sense that you, you don't have to bear with their weakness or with their um, sin or you know, be patient with them uh, as they are struggling with their flesh and struggling with, uh, with wrapping their minds around what is, what is true and such. So this word for patience, uh, which is the same word um, that uh, the the servant uses when the you know with the unjust the the, un, the um, unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, when he uh, says to the master, the king, "Be patient with me, and I'll repay you." And then he, of course, forgives them. But then he goes out, and another servant who owes him a hundred denarii asks, says, he uses the same words, "Be patient with me, and I'll repay you." And they send him into the prison, and then, of course, the master then. Uh, 
cast that man into the jail. And Jesus says, so it will be for uh, every one of you if you do not forgive your uh, brother from the heart. So this patience, it implies this long-suffering, this enduring. So preaching the Word of God, and again, I think it goes well with the fact that each sermon is connected to the next sermon. So just because you preach something, uh, a topic, on uh, on one Sunday, it doesn't mean that, that the people are going to get it or that they're going to retain it. You have to kind of re- repeat some of these topics in Scripture and address certain sins that need to be addressed. And also when it comes to instructing, whether you're doing you know instruction through uh, to get someone through co- to confirmation or whether it's in Bible study or however you're dealing with people, um, they don't aren't always going to get everything right away. And you don't just simply say, well, they're not Christians then, and throw them off. So, And I think the, the matching of the words patience and teaching is very important. Uh, to teach involves patience. Now, this word here, we have actually the word teaching, and, and, and there are two different words for teaching in that text. This one is didache, uh, and uh, it can mean uh, mean the content of what is being taught, but it can also be uh, how you are teaching. And I think in this context, it is how you are being taught, uh, simply because he uses uh, the word didaskalos uh, or didaskalos when he talks about um, the uh, didaskalos, uh, anyway, didaskalion, so he uses that when he's uh, earlier when he's talking about, uh, or actually later when he's talking about uh, pure doctrine. So he uses a different word, and this is didache. Now, either one of these, from what I understand, could mean either content or how you, the act of teaching. And I think this, because he always already talked about pure doctrine before, this is talking, and this being matched with patience. He's talking about how you teach. And it also makes sense because in First Timothy three he has a very similar word to didache, which is uh, didaktikon, didaktikon, um, and and that word is it means to be skillful in teaching. So he says, uh, whoever desires to be a bishop, uh, he desires a noble work. Uh, a, a bishop must be um, above reproach, husband of, of but one wife, didaktikon, uh, you know, able to teach. I think it's a silver mine for that, than able to teach. So able to teach, I think, is an important task in, in the preacher. Preaching is teaching. So it's not just simply law and gospel. Don't do this. You did it. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus died for you and forgives you. Amen. I mean, that's not it. You actually do need to teach. And sermons should be... Uh, have that in mind, that you should be clear, articulate, explaining things, maybe giving examples, uh, using the language of the Bible, explaining what words mean, and also in Bible study, and be patient, and repeat yourself, and, and things like that. So um, not just simply saying, oh, he doesn't understand, well, this person is retrograde, <laughs> and throw them, you know, cast them aside. But no, as, as the parable says, pour some manure on it, dig around it, keep on watering it, give it three more years, and uh, and just and uh, you know, be patient and and work on your skill in, in teaching and preaching. Mm. I, the the word patience there, I do think. I mean, I appreciate the way you connected it to the pastoral ministry within the congregational setting. Constantly being willing to repeat as a pastor what people need to learn from God's word, and and doing so that with patience, recognizing it's it's not always going to be learned the first time. How many times have I had to had things repeated to me so that I would learn them? The same is true for God's people to whom I am sent to preach. I think the word patience also connects forward to what Paul says concerning the time that is coming, the season that is coming, because patience is a word that elsewhere Paul is connected to suffering, to persecution. He used that word for patience back in chapter three. One of the things that that Paul says to Timothy, you've followed my teaching. It's the other word for teaching there, but he also includes my patience, and he connects those that with suffering. Part of the patience of a preacher is to recognize that I need to keep preaching these things in the midst of 
all these seasons, these times that are coming when people don't want to hear them, I need to have that patience to keep doing so. So, which I think fits in what we were saying earlier about the in-season and out-of-season. Take us into to verses three and, and four, Pastor Preuss, this time that is coming, people are not going to endure sound, sound teaching, but they have these itching ears. What's going on with their itching ears? Yeah, that, that's an, isn't that a great phrase? Yeah. I mean, an itch, like, you know, when you're scratching, you need to, to, to itch it. Like, I, I remember, or when you're itching, you, you need to scratch it. I was in choir for many, many uh, years, and uh, the worst is when we would be performing, and they would they would say, you know, don't uh, touch your face. Yeah. You know, you're not allowed to, you keep your hands to your side. I don't want anyone raising their hand. Well, then also you get a trickle of sweat down your down your temple, and it just itches, or your nose itches. Yep. And then when you're told don't itch, it's just like you can't help. You just need to scratch it. Uh, so you can see that, that it's, it's like a compulsive thing. These people need to, they need to get their itch. They need to get it. And they're going to go to where they're going to hear it. And that's incredibly disappointing uh, to a preacher when you preach the Word of God, and then people are like, ah, well, that, that just doesn't scratch where I itch. So they go somewhere else. And you see this with, like, you know, these very popular mega churches that they give people, you know, kind of hope in this life. Uh, you know, they, they kind of they major in optimism and, and things like, you know, practical things. So you'll go on some of these church websites and they'll say, well, we, you know, we focus on, you know, everyday practical uh, teaching and preaching and how God's Word relates to your everyday life. And it's and it's kind of like code word for saying you know we're gonna we're gonna scratch where you itch, uh, and uh, they'll avoid things that people don't want to don't want to deal with, which is actually addressing their real sin and repenting of it, believing in the gospel, meaning that you're not actually trusting in yourself. And I think a big thing is that you might suffer for the rest of your life. That might be part of your, of being a Christian. Is you're gonna suffer. And you're not going to enjoy all this. You're not going to find your big purpose now, uh, but you're going to bear your cross with patience. And uh, so I think, yeah, you're really right, not only in the sense that the preacher has to have this patience, but he has to preach patience, because having itching ears is the and, and trying to satisfy that is the exact opposite of having patience. And I think this is incredibly relevant to what we're dealing with now. Uh, we are losing people in our church. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, we, we need to stop the bleeding, right? Well, how do we do it? And then the only thing Scripture tells us is preach with patience and teaching, with all patience and teaching. <clears throat> but people, they don't want to hear that, you know, any sort of sexual immorality is a sin, unless maybe they don't have a problem with it and they're okay with condemning others. But they don't want to hear about their own sins, uh, with people who are more educated, I think, I mean, if we're going to break people down into groups, I think they feel very uncomfortable with not believing in evolution, not because they're necessarily convinced by it, but because they're, they just feel overwhelmed and outnumbered and nobody wants to be outnumbered. So they follow into these myths. Uh, so the myths that we have now are, you know, the claims that the Bible, you know, isn't the Word of God and that has errors and you can't really believe the the, the record of the Bible, uh, except the philosophies of the Enlightenment, which places human reason above everything else, uh, evolution, as I mentioned already, uh, things like gender equality, you know, denying that God made them male and female, which 50 years ago or 60 years ago brought in women's ordination into a lot of these churches. Well, now it's, it's bringing transgenderism, homosexuality, and, all, and uh, you know, just all sorts of sexual immorality, which Scripture preaches against. Uh, so all of these things, I mean, they're myths, they're, they're false hopes, they're lies, and people are going to follow after them. They're going to, and, and, you know, we live in a free market world. If, if you you can find a church that is going to tell you what you want to believe. I guarantee you, if you look long enough, you're going to find it. But don't just search for a church that's going to tell you what you want to believe, but rather look for a church that's going to be preaching the Word of God, and it may very well tell you something you don't want to hear, but it will give you the, the words of eternal life. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's all. It's 
very, very relevant today, and it shows that Paul isn't just talking to Timothy, he's talking to you and me and to all pastors and to and to our hearers as well. Well, yeah, I mean, the, he starts that verse, he says the time is coming. I think the time was there at the time Paul writes Second Timothy. The time certainly is here today. This this is one of those times that I think is, is always there. People with itching ears are always around. And it's something that that Paul he warns them he he warns against those who would have itching ears looking for the teachers that are falsehood. He's he's already warned Timothy against those who are the false teachers. Back in chapter three, he's talked about those who you know creep into households and capture weak women, and they're always learning. I mean, so the attacks coming from both sides that Timothy is facing. He he's got to deal with the false teachers. He's got to deal with people that want to be false learners, not just who are who are deceived, but are actively seeking deception. That's an important distinction I think we need to make. We we've talked about that previously in, in First Timothy, how how a pastor needs to to take care to watch out for those who have been falsely taught and, and to to treat them with with gentleness and to patience, as, as he says here. But here you've got people who are like, they're actively seeking out the false teaching. They're, they're accumulating. I don't know. I was, I was trying to, to think of this earlier, almost like a, you know, you've got an antichrist, almost like the anti-church here. And, and, and an, I don't know if this is me, an anti-voters meeting that extends a call to a false preacher on purpose. I, I don't know if that, that's maybe too much modern imagery, but, but I think, I mean, you know, that's what's going on here is that from every which way, false doctrine is trying to make an inroad into the church, whether it's through the false teacher or those who desire to be deceived. And Paul says to Timothy, you, verse five, as for you, always be sober, sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's like with the, the exclamation point there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. The and you, or but you, I mean, this is just... Uh... Uh, in contrast to all of this that he is kind of just heaping upon him, he says, "But you, you know, you stand firm." Yeah. And uh, and I think also just pointing out what he's supposed to stand firm in, you know, be so reminded enduring suffering. But why do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry? And I think the work of the evangelist that is the fulfilling of the ministry. That is the you know telos. That's the goal is to do the work of the evangelist, which is to preach the gospel. Oh. Uh, and this is something we'll, de- you'll de- we'll deal with. You're talking about, you know, they want people want to be taught falsely. And how often, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure if there are any pastors listening to this, they can think of, of a situation where they told someone something, and then they go and talk to, you know, a bunch of other pastors looking for someone else to give them a different answer. Yeah. And people do it in, 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 in other things, too, but... Um, uh, but you, you, you preach the Word of God. You stand firm. Don't buckle down. Why? Because the goal is the gospel. So why don't we buckle? Why don't we just give up on these unpopular teachings? Like our, uh, a big thing right now is sexual morality, because we're just living in such a perverse world that we have to talk about so much. Um, like, why, do we, why don't we just give up? Who cares? You know, just let people just live together, and eventually they'll get married, and you know, they'll figure it out on their own. God loves everyone. Well, it's because if you don't preach the law, people will not repent and they won't believe the gospel. You can't believe in the gospel when you're an impenitent sinner. It's impossible. Scripture makes this abundantly clear. You know, Ezekiel says, if you warn the sinner and he and uh, he repents, then he will, and he does not repent, then he will still die. But you know, your head will be saved. But if you, uh, if I tell you that the sinner will surely die, and you don't warn him, the sinner's still going to die. But I'll require his his blood on your head, or whatever the, the wording is. Uh, you don't do any good by avoiding preaching the law. Everything you do is in service to the gospel. You want to fulfill your ministry, then you set the groundwork to preach the gospel, which is to it is to proclaim the law, but don't forget to preach the gospel because you're not succeeding if you just have a congregation where nobody's fornicating, right? Or where nobody is gossiping, or at least you don't think anyone's gossiping, right? I mean, you can you can convince yourself they have a perfect congregation, but the way you fulfill your ministry is by proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to poor souls who are sorry and 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 uh, uh, fear God's wrath and, and want to be saved. Preach them the love of God, that God sent his Son to die for them and to forgive them and to give them eternal life, and that this is given to them apart from their works uh, through faith. 
that is how a minister completes his his, uh, his his ministry. And it's actually possible. I think ministers can actually say, yes, I have completed my ministry, because I preached the free forgiveness of sins. Uh, and I think that can be a comfort to, to ministers as well. Well, and and then I think that's where Paul turns. He he's given this charge to Timothy, and now he's he's telling Timothy, "This is what I've done," and he he does so in in very vivid language. Verses six through eight. The first the first image that he gives probably requires a bit of explanation because I'm not sure I'm not sure how familiar everyone is with this. Paul says, "I am already being poured out as a drink offering." And the time of my departure has come. What is what is this matter of the drink offering that Paul brings up, and how does it how does it relate to what he's talking about? Well, it's it's a reference to old to Old Testament sacrificing. So it's kind of like I think it's in is it in Ephesians three or is it the one Paul uses another reference kind of similar to this, where he talks about how he is being that that they are um, the uh, they are the offering. Uh, with a pleasing aroma to to God, so uh, if you, if you read through Leviticus, you'll see that um, the, the the acts in the temple or in the tabernacle of the time that they connect well with the with what we have in the New Testament. So the 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 smoke going up from an offering it has this pleasing aroma, and that is the preaching of the gospel, because when you smell the burnt uh, flesh, I suppose. I mean, you smell the burnt fat, actually. Uh, that is a reminder that God has accepted your offering. So it's just like in the New Testament, when you preach the gospel, I mean, what are you doing? You're preaching that Christ has offered himself for the sins of the world, and God has accepted the offering, and that your sins uh, are are forgiven. Uh, now with this, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different. So um, let's see here. Every uh, day, they're supposed to offer two lambs a year old, and one lamb should be offered in the morning, one in the evening, or at twilight. And uh, with the first lamb, a tenth sea of fine flour mingled with a fourth hint of beaten oil, and a fourth hint of wine for drink, for a drink offering. So you pour wine with this offering that that is... uh, with the lamb and the grain, and they do that at twilight as well. Uh, so this is an offering to God uh, of your of, of your. It's showing your your faith in God. I guess I guess to say. So how is Paul a drink a drink offering? Um, I don't know. It's, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting visual. I think it does connect with him bearing the cross of Christ, like Christ pours out his blood for us, and the wine, uh, Jesus, the wine is Jesus' blood and the sacrament. Uh, the pouring out, I think, does uh, represent Christ's shedding of his blood when you pour out the, the wine. Uh, so I think there's some imagery there, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's imagery that I think that the that Jews would have would have recognized, and they would have had a vision of going to the temple where you have the morning and the evening sacrifices and you have this wine that you pour out as part of it. And uh, it's kind of like, again, where he, he mentions in Romans 12, where he says he offers himself as a, offer yourself as a living sacrifice right. that's wholly acceptable to God. Um, so like our lives and the ministry of the word replaces the temple worship. Uh, and um, so I don't know if I give that, that satisfactory of an answer. I guess I'm not fully satisfied with my answer on that one. I think but, the um, well, I think the connection to Romans 12 is a good one. How how we as Christians offer our our entire lives as and living sacrifices is a, a fantastic image. There, I mean, a sacrifice is something that dies, but in Christ, our sacrifices are are living, you know, pointing to the resurrection there, which I think fits at least somewhat here with Second Timothy four, because Paul knows he's about to die. He talks about his departure, and and yet. He, he recognizes that in faith, his life, his, his ministry is pleasing and acceptable to God by grace, 
through faith, just like his, and that that's how his life and ministry is acceptable to God. He, he brings that up, I think, towards the end, and we probably should spend at least a little time talking about it. We have about five minutes, Pastor Boyce. Uh, I know. And the images are just so good. I mean, fought the good fight, finished the race. There's waiting a crown of righteousness, and, and God's going to give it not only to Paul, but to all who love Love is appearing with with five minutes. Help us to to dig into these verses and get at least some of the goodness that's there for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was great. I think you did an excellent job right there, just explaining the the pouring out. He is talking about his death. That's what he's talking about, and his 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 sacrifice is acceptable to God by by grace. Um, then he he talks about he's finished the race. He's kept the faith. I mean, all of our works are sanctified through faith. Uh, this is not Saint Paul saying that he is saved by his works. Now he says, now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a stephanus, a wreath, something that you would give someone who has finished a, a tournament, who has finished a race. And also when he says he's finished the race, the word there also means course. So it's not, I mean, obviously I guess it's the same thing, but there, it's a course set by God. There is actually a way that Christians are supposed to go that God has planned for you according to his word and according to your vocation uh, in life, so this this crown of righteousness that is going to be placed on us. I mean, we're heirs of the kingdom of heaven, and which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award me on that day. Uh, I mean, this is the one who is. Which remember, he said earlier, who's going to ju- who will who is to judge the living and the dead. So he's already asserting that he that the righteous Judge will give him a crown of righteousness that he's justified. And how does he know? Because he's devoted himself to the gospel, and, and he is saved by grace through faith in the gospel. He's not ashamed of what he's preaching. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for, this, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. Uh, so it's wonderful imagery there, and it's, and it's not only for him, but it's to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, so it's not just that this is something particular to pastors, but to all Christians. This gospel is spread to all and it makes uh, reference to that great Advent hymn, O Lord, how shall I meet you? And I'll just read the last uh, stanza. He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolations and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious Son, now come, send forth your beam so cheering, and guide us safely home. So in this like terrible picture that he draws of people itching after other things, rejecting the Word of God, be patient because suffering is coming, he says, but we all look with hope. We love the appearing of the Lord. He comes to judge the nations, but he comes to give every single one of us who trusts in him a righteous crown. So in this world, I mean, just come, Lord Jesus, come. Come now. Come uh, uh, before... uh, I'm not waiting for anything. I just want Jesus to come. And every pastor should have should have his congregation saying, "Well, Lord, how shall I meet you?" At least like six or seven times during Advent, or maybe not six or seven, but a couple, I think. And we should all remember that last verse, uh, especially as we wait for the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to place a beautiful crown on every single one of us who trusts in Him. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us this morning with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest this morning. Hey, thank you so much. Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright. Paul talks about meeting the Lord on the last day, looking for his appearing, loving his appearing, knowing that he comes to count us righteous, that judgment that he's spoken in his word to us already. He counts us righteous by his grace through faith on account of what he has done for us. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.